This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by S Smart. Shop smart. Shop S Smart. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, 1981's The Evil Dead and 2013's Evil Dead, it's a double feature. The late night double feature, feature show. And it is hot as balls. <laughs> we are recording on the 4th of July, and uh, it is just going to get hotter. On uh, Friday, Friday, 109 degrees. Yeah. 109 degrees. And I and get to be sunny, outside. Sunny Southern California. <laughs> Why are you going to be outside, Kels? I'm going to be looking at wedding venues. Yeah, uh-huh. Why are you looking at wedding venues? We're getting married. We are getting married. That is true. <laughs> that is, in fact, true. <laughs> You're a little behind, podcast listening audience. This happened... Like a month like ago. Like a month ago. <laughs> All right, so, before we move on to our movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Slash cards. Slash cards. Hit me with your best shot. Fire away. Name one horror movie in which a hook is used as a weapon. One? Just one? That's what it says. I know what you did last summer. Well, yeah, but what did we just watch? Hellraiser. Oh, yeah, there are lots of hooks in Hellraiser. (laughs) That's a good point. Yep. All right. Kelsey. Yeah. Name two horror movies adapted from video games. I can't think. Silent Hill. Yeah. Uh huh. And Resident Evil. That's exactly what they have here as their recommendations. Good. I'm proud of you. Silent Hill is good. Resident Evil, not so much. And they made like 20 of them. I don't know if I've ever seen any of the Resident Evils. I never saw the sequel to Silent Hill. I did not like Silent Hill because I did not like the ending. I thought it was stupid. Oh, yeah. Kelsey doesn't like to get cheated, and the ending kind of cheats you. (laughs) Uh, All right. So, Kelsey, what movie are we watching this week, or did we watch this week? You already said it. (laughs) I'm asking you to repeat it. The Evil Dead. (laughs) The Evil Dead. Uh, Written and directed by Sam Raimi and starring Bruce Campbell, and I should just stop there, but Ellen Sandweiss (laughs) and Richard de Manincore, whatever. What is The Evil Dead about? A group of college kids go up to a cabin for a weekend. Unfortunately for them, they discover the Necronomicon and an evil entity comes up. It does, in fact... Kelsey, should people watch this movie? Yes. Yeah, yes. I mean, just yes. This is another one of those, if you haven't seen it already, then what are you doing? <laughs> uh, if if maybe you're, this show is getting you into horror movies more than you used to, that's totally awesome. And we would highly recommend that this be one of those movies that you watch. Yes. Now, 
I'm going to get this out of the way now because we're not going to talk about it. Maybe we'll cover uh, the movie in the future. But there is a sequel. There are actually two sequels and a TV show. We're not never, covering any of those. Never seen the TV show. I hear, I, I hear I it's really no good. no idea. But we don't get the channel that it's on. I don't remember what channel it's on, but we don't get it. Um, so we haven't seen it yet. And the first one I ever saw was The Army of Darkness. Really? It was the first one I ever saw. See, Evil Dead 2 was the first one I saw. So this was like a step backwards like into subtlety, believe it or not, this movie. <laughs> because um, the thing about Evil Dead 2 is, as Bruce Campbell puts it, it's a requel. It's both a remake and a sequel. According to him, they didn't have the rights to make a sequel. They didn't have the rights to their own movie, so they need basically needed to remake it slightly and make a few changes. It's just so way funnier. The first act. It's way sillier. Right. But the first act of Evil Dead 2 is just a retelling, kind of, of the first Evil Dead movie. And then the rest is its own film. But you're right. It's sillier. It's higher production values. This is a lot more indie and it's a lot, a, well, a little more serious. The comedy is a little bit more subtle. Yeah. I mean, because... They were taking themselves pretty seriously in the first movie and then everyone panned it. So in the second one, they were like, fuck it. And they made a, a comedy, basically. And then Army of Darkness is just full on absurd. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. Which is funny because, like I said, that was the first one I saw. And so I was like, what the hell is this? This is my boomstick. <laughs> so good. So good. This is a great series and you should watch it all. All right, but we are watching the first installment, Evil Dead, which, again, I would highly recommend you watch. We saw it on Shudder, but you can also rent it for as low as $2. You could buy it for as low as 6 You should own the movie. I mean, we own the movie, but it's on disc, and we don't have a reliable disc player in our bedroom. So <laughs> in any case, uh, yeah, you should absolutely, absolutely see it. So go ahead and do that. And when we come back, we will talk about 1981's The Evil Dead. Stephen King, author of Carrie, said, Evil Dead is the most ferociously original horror film of the year. If you think he's kidding, see for yourself. Evil Dead. They got up on the wrong side of the grave. Evil Dead from New Line Cinema. Now playing at these theaters. Check your newspaper for times. All right, Kelsey. What happens in the Evil Dead? So, again, we start with, like, a group of college kids. They don't really ever tell us, but at one point you see one of the characters wearing a Michigan State sweatshirt, and they don't look the like... The implication is that they're all from Michigan State. Yeah. And there, there's nothing that, that insinuates that they're, like full-on adults with jobs. So right. I would assume they're college kids up for a weekend. And apparently, I guess Sam Raimi is from Michigan, and that's why they chose Michigan State. Even though the movie's filmed in, like, Tennessee or something like that. Uh, and they're all in this car, and... <laughs> They're sing like they're singing a song, and I don't know if you did this intentionally, but Bruce Campbell's face is this like really fake smile. Like I'm so glad we get to listen to you guys singing instead of listening to the radio. <laughs> yeah, and the driver is driving all fucking crazy, and they almost hit a car, and like somebody shouts out like turn, and one girl like puts her hands up and screams, and it's. It it's really setting the tone for how 
silly and over the top this movie is, which is funny because like we said earlier, this movie actually took itself quite seriously. So when you see... Uh, Semi-seriously. So when you see shots like that, you're already laughing, yeah. you know? And they get there, and there's, like, this dangerous bridge, all these famous shots. If you've ever seen Donnie Darko, it's a lot of these shots that we get to see when he's in the movie theater before the rabbit takes him over. But, like, a lot of these are very iconic shots with the loud booming of the Oh, the, the, the uh, swing shell, the, oh, okay, yeah. hitting uh-huh. the thing. And then as soon as they go to open the door, it stops. Yeah, really cool moment. And, like, one of the girls goes, you know, like, why are we getting this so cheap? And, I mean, we know that the Necronomicon is there, and we know that they're going to open it and there's going to be evil, but it's like, did people know that? Is that why it's so cheap? Like, nobody wants to go there, but does anybody know that this happened there? Right. It doesn't... It doesn't make a lot of sense. As soon as they get inside, they hear, like, whispers of join us... And that will be a thing that is said throughout the film. Join us. Yeah. It's the the spirits. I mean, that's the thing is that uh, there aren't a lot of taglines in this movie, right? Most of what you know about the Evil Dead comes from number two. Yes. Like Dead by Dawn, for instance. The name Necronomicon Ex Mortis never once said in this movie. Did you notice that? I – maybe – I do remember wondering, like, when are they going to say it? But I don't know if I ever, like, noticed that they never said it. No, in this movie, it's called Naturome uh, de Monto, Ah. which is what he says in the recording, which they find, which we'll talk about in a second. It's also what they call it in the remake, too. They don't call it the Necronomicon. Necronomicon just means Book of Magic, (laughs) and Ex Mortis is of the dead. So it's a a magic book of the dead, is what it is. But here they call it Naturome de Monto, which is, um, like, a natural history of demons, Interesting. Yeah, which is apparently, according to all the Evil Dead wikis, it's not a complete version of the Necronomicon Ex Mortis. It's just the stuff about the demons. The Necronomicon Ex Mortis is is, is a much larger book, and the Natrome Demonto is a smaller version that just covers the demonic stuff. But they get into the cabin. So, um, if anyone, I mean, at this point, you should definitely have seen Cabin in the Woods. If you yeah. haven't, what are you doing with your life? This is this is the cabin in the woods. Yes. There are is- other movies that take place with cabins in the woods. That's why it's a trope. That's why it's in the movie Cabin in the Woods. But this is really the movie that they're talking about. Yeah. Cabin in the Woods takes a lot from this film. It takes a lot from other movies, but a that's lot the whole point of that movie. from yeah. this movie. And I think it's Ash, Bruce Campbell, who says, party down! Party down! Yeah. <laughs> I think just, so, yeah. Just like in Cabin in the Woods when he says, let's get this party started! Let's get this party started! <laughs> you can see the parallels right out the gate. So, I think this is when the they're partying, and I think this is when the cellar door uh, bursts open, and they can hear the sound or whatever. And Ash's sister, who, by the way, you don't find out is Ash's sister until, like, until, the end. Yeah, towards the end of the movie when she's going to die or whatever. She's and just you're the like, one random chick that doesn't have a boyfriend, right. basically. There's two there, couples and there's her. That's right. So <laughs> she's petrified of this place. From the get-go, every little thing is setting her off. But when the door bursts open... 
I think to kind of lie to herself and make herself feel better, she goes, it was probably just an animal. We should just close this up. The asshole, so not Ash, but the asshole guy who's there is like, an animal? That's the stupidest thing I ever right? heard is that, of. That's the, you dumb idiot. An animal? An animal? <laughs> that is the stupidest thing I ever heard of. Jesus Christ. That Scotty says that. Yes. Yeah. And so they decide to go down. There's a, it's an enormous cellar down there. Uh, there's a Hills Have Eyes poster. There's a shotgun, which if you've seen the second one is going to come into play. Here's the thing, though, is it's a single barrel shotgun. And famously, <laughs> Ash wields a double barrel shotgun. Ah. So, but it is still a shotgun. Yes. And they find what Chris has now accurately titled the... Notaram de Monto. That book, which is bound in human skin. And if you're like me, all you can think about when you hear that and when you see this book is, do you know? A book bound in human flesh? I think of the Necronomicon. Nope. <laughs> what? I immediately think of Hocus Pocus. Yeah. I know I shouldn't. <laughs> I know I shouldn't, but I saw Hocus Pocus way before I saw Evil Dead, so that's all I can think about. There's actually an ear on the back of the book. Is there really? Yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I mean, it, it has kind of kind of like a face on it a little bit and, and, and an ear on the back, but it gets distinct in Evil Dead 2. Where it's it's a full on fucking face on the book. I've only seen the second one like two times. Really? Because what always happens is I want to watch the whole series. I end up watching the first one. And then I don't end up watching the second one. <laughs> I think I've only seen Army of Darkness twice as well. Man. Yeah. Well, you know what? In the life of this podcast, we will get through all of them. Okay. So, oh, they find the tapes. So some scientist or some shit uh, was there doing all this research about the Book of the Dead because scientists never believe in that stuff. They just think it's interesting and it shows us about our human history. They don't think that it could possibly actually waken the dead. Right. So it's just he, crazy interesting, right? So he, for some insane reason, decided to tape record himself reading the incantation. Yeah. And he's out there with his wife or something like that. And Scotty decides to play the tape, despite the fact that Ash's sister is freaking out and, you know, screaming at him to shut it off. A tree, like, bangs through their window, and yet Scotty, the dick, is just like, I don't care, and turns it on anyway. Yeah. So now they have the book, and they have the reading of the incantations, which is all you need to bring that spirit back. Yes, and Ash says to Scotty, you don't know when you take things too far. Yeah. Because Scotty's just a fucking dick. What do you think about the POV spirit shots, entity shots? You mean when they're rushing through the woods and stuff? Yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, I love it. Yeah. You get Fantastic. this. You get this groaning sound. And there's wind rushing and it's kind of uh, fast motion. And it's really, really cool. So if you, I mean... Listen, I'm not even going to say this anymore. I I'm assuming you've seen the movie if you're listening to this right now. Um, it's really cool. You know distinctly what I'm talking about here. Yes, very iconic shots yeah, from this uh -huh. film. So many. 
And yes, one of them is when the camera is just whooshing through the woods, and it's a really cool effect. Which apparently, so this movie is kind of the brainchild of Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. So they worked on it a lot to the point where, okay, apparently it was a miserable production. I'll say that now, too, because they were they stayed in the cabin and uh, it was really shitty. Everyone was miserable. (laughs) And so when they were done filming, they just sent everybody home. And and then they realized that they needed to do some pickup shots. And basically all that's left, I think, were maybe a handful of crew members, but Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. And so they just the two of them filmed all the pickup shots and everything that they needed to do and kind of worked around the fact that they didn't have any of the other actors. Uh, But they also did a lot of the production stuff, too. So those shots, so it's told, are Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell holding on to either side of a plank of wood that has the camera mounted on it and running through the woods. That's the two of them. That's cool. Kind of like a homemade steady cam that's not very steady. (laughs) So then we get this really cute moment between Ash and his girlfriend. And he's got, he pretends to be asleep and he's got um, a box, which still to this day, every time I see it, I'm like, an engagement ring. No, it's a necklace and a stupid necklace. <laughs> it's a, it's, yeah, you can tell by the box it's not an engagement ring. Anyway. It's not square. It doesn't hinge open. doesn't have a cool little light that reflects light off of the it's diamond. true. It does not have that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he pretends to be asleep and he's got this box on his knee and she's being really quiet and there's these close-ups on their eyes. So she looks at the box he opens his eyes and looks at her. Mm-hmm. He closes her eye- his eyes. She looks over at him to see if he's awake. Yeah. Eventually, she takes the box, and that's when he wakes up, and it's so cute. And she opens it up, and she loves the necklace. It's like a, it's like a spyglass. Yeah, it's a, it's a magnifying glass, basically. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm. It's just a cute little thing. <sighs> then there's this. I forget why Ash's sister goes nuts and runs out into the woods. And this is when we get our insane tree raping scene, which was very awkward and not really necessary. Yes. Yeah, I wrote down the rape scene is so uncomfortable, despite how ridiculous it is, it could totally be missed. Apparently, it was not originally scripted as a rape scene. According to the actress, it simply read uh, Cheryl is attacked by the woods and that didn't actually clarify what exactly that meant. Um, and so they added that stuff in while they were filming and in post-production. And they tried to even it out when Linda attacks Ash and tries to assault him sexually. Uh, but ultimately, Sam Raimi regrets putting it in the film. Uh, critics obviously say it's a little misogynistic and totally unnecessary yeah, there, there's a few scenes like that, including one where Bruce Campbell, he regrets doing the scene where he repeatedly and violently slaps Linda. <laughs> I had to stop her screaming. I had to stop her screaming. The funny thing about this movie, it's so funny because I've seen the first one way more than I've seen the second and the third. And yet, what I remember about it, what everyone remembers about it, is the silliness of it all. Yeah, but that's the second one. That's what I'm saying. I know. I know. But what I'm saying is, 
I forget every single time I rewatch this how violent and truly uncomfortable it is. Yeah. It is not just this scene. The, the tree scene is so unnecessary. Like, I don't get... It, like, I'm kind of glad that Sam Raimi says he regrets it because I watched that and I'm just like, why? Why yeah. is this in here? <laughs> Aside from that, there is a lot of violence. And I'm not just talking about the gore. The gore is there and the gore is silly because none of it looks real. But it is very uncomfortable. The violence is nuts in this movie. Yeah. Like, there are times when, like, I find that it's hard for me to watch scenes, even though it doesn't look real at all. It's just, there's just so much of it. Yeah. It almost borders on torture porn for me. But yeah. I forget about it every time because and the all, remake too, all I remember is the silliness and the fun. Yeah. Uh -huh. And that's why I love the Evil Dead. I have a shirt with the Evil Dead on it. I have um I have a little ash that I posted a picture of on Twitter. You know, like I love At this Pod movie. Cemetery. And I never remember that there are parts that I'm like and I don't want to watch it. Yeah, there're definitely those parts. <laughs> So then she runs back in, she gets away, she runs back into the thing, and she's shouting, it won't let us leave, blah, 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 and she sounds like a crazy person, because as soon as she says that, everything stops. Yeah. There's no more whooshing of the wind, there's no more join us, there's nothing. She's like, it won't let us leave, and then everything stops. To make but, her look crazy. Right, but ultimately, Ash, her brother, decides, you know what, that's fine, I'll just take her into town. She can spend the night at a hotel and and we'll stay here. Uh, and what happens when he tries to drive her out of the woods? The bridge collapses? The bridge is destroyed. Ah. So they can't leave. There's no way out. And they go back to the cabin because they kind of have to. And shortly thereafter. She is taken over. She's taken over. And this is when shit just goes down. Yeah. So she gets taken over by a violent demon. Again, we don't get the term deadite right. until the second one, but that's what they are. So we'll refer to them as deadites. And she says, one by one, we will take you. Why have you disturbed our sleep? Awakened us from our ancient slumber. You will die! Like the others before you. One by one, we will take you. And they are able to get her down into the cellar, and immediately Ash chains it all up. Yeah, but it's kind of like a zombification that is transmitted through fear and violence, right? So Cheryl's fear is what got her. I don't think so. I think it's the tree, and I think it just takes time for it to take over the body. But then how does each subsequent person get possessed? They are violently attacked exactly. by somebody who has it first. Exactly. Yeah, it's not like a, a blood disease, like like being a zombie or whatever. Um, oh, it's communicated through the saliva or anything like that. No, well, Cheryl, it kind of is. No, Cheryl stabs Linda in the ankle with a pencil or a pen or something like that. That's the only thing that happens to Linda, and then she converts. Yeah, so I guess the transmitting is a little... Well, it's demonic, it's not viral. And I think that's the important thing, 
It's so it's that combination of fear and violence, and that's how it gets from one person to the next person. And this is when the violence just goes crazy. Yeah. And it is legit creepy, despite being ludicrous, you know? None of it feels realistic, and yet it is irksome and creepy as fuck. And her voice is really creepy, even though it borders on the line of silliness. Well, I think especially Linda, Ash's girlfriend, because she becomes like a ceramic doll type deadite. <laughs> and so she gets a voice like this. Yes. And it's all very grotesque and gory, mm-hmm. but at the same time, extremely fake looking. It is it is a strange combination, which is probably why this movie was so critically panned. Right. People didn't know what to do with it. They were like, I don't I'm creeped out, but this looks stupid. <laughs> it also is literally all the women that get possessed before the men do. Yes. True. Even though there's more women than men. Mm-hmm. So <sighs> I think it's it's almost more tragic that the women get taken first, and it's creepier because it's the women that get turned. Yeah. So Shelly is the next one to become possessed, and she attacks Scotty, and he goes at her with an axe. And, like, almost like it was not even a fucking second thought, he just chops the shit out of her. And while he's doing that, she's shouting, no, no, you love her. Yes. (laughs) Don't kill her. So good. (laughs) Wait a minute. You're supposed to have a problem with this. But Scotty is such a fucking dick. He doesn't think twice about chopping his girlfriend up into little bits when he thinks she's possessed. Yes. Um, And so they they bury her body parts and Cheryl's still in a cellar, in the cellar, chained up. And Scotty goes off into the woods. He just goes walking into the woods. And Ash is left in the cabin with Linda, his girlfriend, who then... Who doesn't attack him. No. And I don't understand that. Well, that's the thing. She's the cutesy ceramic doll. She's there to watch the fun, Ah, I think. Yeah, but You know, she's not there necessarily to participate herself. Yeah, but why? Because it's creepy. I guess. Listen, I'm telling you, it does get, like... You exchange the silliness for quality of life improvements in the second one. <laughs> and this is one of them. It, 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 things make a little bit more sense in the second one, mm-hmm. which we will do in the future. Don't worry. And then he just starts punching his girlfriend because she won't shut up. <laughs> that's that's what he. That's the scene he regrets. Okay, I'm sorry. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's just so like he's like, shut up, shut up, and she just won't. And so he just keeps. Punching her, and she still won't <laughs> shut up. I have to stop her screaming. So Scotty gets attacked by the trees too, and he makes it back to the cabin and informs Ash that he found a trail out of the woods, or what he thinks to be a trail out of the woods, and then he passes out. Mm-hmm. And he he takes her outside and checks on Scotty, and Scotty's dead. And this is when we get the famous line, We're gonna get you, not another peep. We're gonna get you, we're gonna get you, not another peep. Kinda gonna sleep. We- She goes to stab Ash and whiffs it and ends up falling on the knife herself. Yep. And Ash drags her right back outside and proceeds to cut her up no. with a chainsaw. Mm-mm. What? 
He wants to use oh, the he chainsaw, wants to. Sorry. but he can't. Sorry. You're right. He can't bring himself to do it. That's right. She goes back to normal. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's 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 a really I think it's an interesting thing they did mm-hmm. there. That like the, every time he's like, I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. They bring him back, they bring her back to looking like normal, and he's like, and it's because Fuck! it's because the demons that are possessing them are like they know how to get to you. Mm-hmm. Which is why the one's very surprised when Scotty <laughs> isn't faced. <laughs> So good. Um, and so and so he decides he's just going to bury her instead, which is a bad choice. No, that's the that's the new one, honey. No. No, he buries her and she pops up out of the grave oh. and he cuts off her head with his shovel. That yes. And that's when I wrote Ash has had a really bad night. <laughs> So not only has his girlfriend been possessed and died and he had to bury her, but she came back to life again out of the grave and he had to chop her head off. And then that head proceeds to taunt him. Yes, and he already had to kill his sister. He's had a really rough night. Why are you torturing me like this? Why? And then her body chases him. Yep. Yes. So he goes, he gets back into the cabin and closes the door. But what's happened in the meantime since he since he went outside and buried her? The cellar door is open now. Yes, and that's when we get the amazing wind down the hall, closing the door, banging the windows, and it goes up into the rafters. Yeah, and so- it's, it's been released, yeah. And Cheryl, the original one, his sister, tries to get back into the cabin because she got out, right? And she keeps trying to break in, and Ash shoots her with his boomstick. <laughs> And he barricades the front and the back doors, and he runs into the cellar, get more, gets more shotgun shells, and then he starts, like, hallucinating. Yes, and his acting here is incredible, <laughs> and I love Bruce Campbell yes. so much. He starts, like, the floor starts getting covered with blood. It starts coming out, and he starts hearing things and voices and sounds and stuff like that. And he's got the whole, like, I'm doing it for Kelsey, <laughs> but the head darting around, with eyes open, the chin with the chin. <laughs> and then there's some bizarre claymation. Yeah. Everything turns into claymation. <laughs> Which, again, it's the silliness factor that you remember at the end of the yeah. film. Ultimately, he kills Cheryl when she breaks in, and then Scotty comes back to life, and Cheryl pops back up again, and they both attack him. He kills them both. But no, they start to freak out, and then they start to smoke. And he realizes that in all the hubbub, the Necronomicon has fallen into the fireplace, and it started to uh, catch get hot basically so he he puts it directly onto the fire and they stop and they begin to rot away and the and sun comes up harrowing music yeah, with the uh-huh. sunrise and you think everything's good and he looks exhausted and, and he is covered in blood yeah as he goes outside yeah the sun's rising it's daylight out i really enjoyed how much of this movie exactly really did take place in daylight most of the movie was either inside or in daylight which was really interesting, I thought. But he's finally outside, and we got this victorious, happy music, and then cut to oh, the camera's running through the forest again, and it goes through the back door of the cabin, runs through the cabin, goes out the front where he's walking out towards the car. And it's a famous end shot. Yeah, and he turns around, and, and it goes right up to his mouth, and then that's the end of the movie. Yes. Now... 
according to Bruce Campbell, if you want the best way to watch Evil Dead 1 and 2 is to watch all of this movie up to this point and then start Evil Dead 2 once he's flying through the woods, uh, being pushed back by the evil force. So if you're curious and you haven't seen Evil Dead 2, you can just start from there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kelsey, Hmm. that was the movie. How about Lightning Round? We did most of what I wanted to talk about. I said before that the movie was made really by Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. The three people, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and uh, Ted Raimi, who you'll see in basically everything that Sam Raimi does. I mean, except for this, really. The three of them would make Super 8 movies together in high school, and they were filmmakers. But since Bruce Campbell was, quote, the one that the girls wanted to look at, he's the one that became the actor of the group. He was cute. And they would put him in all the movies that they made. He was really cute when he was younger. So there's a couple of things. Um, One, Bruce Campbell, he is a cutie, and you really feel sorry for him throughout the film. But he's not a great actor. His uh, his He has a particular style. His fake laughing is real over the top. Real silly. When he, like we said, when he's doing his acting at the end by himself, it's hilarious, but that doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> I think it's I, I think it's it's all intentional though. Perhaps. But that would imply Feels intentional. That would imply that this movie was trying to go for funny, which I don't think it no, was. No, I think it was trying to go for for indie style mm. back then. I mean, we gotta remember these are college students who used to be high school students who would just make fun Super 8 videos together. They were having a good time together. And that's what this was. Every time there's a shot of the moon, I don't know if you noticed this. It's a matte shot, yeah. Well, slowly there's like a swirl of blackness that goes over the moon every single time. Every time you can see the moon and then slowly a swirl goes over it. Yes. So when I say it's a matte shot, they couldn't get shots of the moon to look like that, so they <laughs> superimposed the moon into those shots, and then they animated over the top of it to get those effects that you got. And in less improved versions of the film, kind of like in Star Wars, you can see the box outline around it. Like, I don't know if you've seen some early copies of Star Wars, you can see the box outline around the ships. No. Um because when they're all flying around in, in Star Wars, all the X-Wings and the TIE Fighters and stuff like that, the way they got that effect is they took stationary ships and they moved the camera around them back and around and all of that and got gave it the impression of flying through space. And then they superimposed that into these larger shots with all these other ships. So you see the outline of the footage around hmm. like this box and it's kind of a different tone because they don't match the color properly. This has that same sort of problem. And this is one of the things that Stephen King, who apparently fucking loves this movie <laughs> and sang its praises when it came out. He, he wrote a review of it when it came out and apparently it was glowing. He referred to that matte process with the moon as being part of the film's, quote, low-budget charm. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you can actually see the review that Stephen King wrote on it. The first website to post it was Joe Blow. You can go to Joe Blow and you can find it there. And for the most part, it's like it's hard to find this, this review in text. It's all in, like, picture. somebody took a picture of an old magazine. It was just in the old uh, Twilight Zone magazine. That it was printed. And so they have they have photographs 
of the review and then somebody transcribed it. But the only one I could find transcribed was actually on the Joe Blow website. But if you're curious about that, which is pretty awesome, you should go check it out. That's it for me. I have a few other things. Because they couldn't afford special effects too much, right? They only had so much to work with. The shotgun is a real shotgun. And it's firing real. Why? Because they they can't afford a fake shotgun. They couldn't afford blanks? With a shotgun, like, those are a lot harder to come by. Like, where do you get them back then, you know? I don't fucking know. Right. They had to have existed. This is 100% indie thing that is he, so dangerous right but he never really fired on like in when you when you see the gun fired it's firing out windows and stuff like that just like it's a real chainsaw that he holds holy shit i mean you could look at it it's really moving and according to legend i couldn't really tell maybe our tv is too small but you can see uh linda's like pulse in her neck like really going because she is freaking out because there is literally a real chainsaw that's being held up to her chest. That's terrifying. Right. I and, would not do that. And they all but they also filmed it from a certain angle where it didn't look really like it what like that's like like so it looked closer than it actually was. I certainly hope so. Well, do, one of the Mission Impossible movies, I think it's Mission Impossible. God, it might be Mission Impossible 2. The bad guy takes a knife and he and he's he's on top of tom cruise and he swings it down at tom cruise and tom cruise stops it and they get this shot of the knife centimeters away from his eyeball that was real okay that's because tom cruise is fucking crazy he's a crazy person and he's getting paid millions of dollars right yeah (laughs) but they had it on a line to where it couldn't get any closer but who knows if that line could stretch or snap or what but it was really that close (laughs) do you know what the necronomicon is a reference to no (laughs) the word is invented it's not a real word it it doesn't even make sense grammatically okay um the way that the like the icon doesn't mean what you think it means and all that stuff uh but it's actually from the Cthulhu Mythos by H.P. Lovecraft. Okay. Which is heavily referenced in Cabin in the Woods, right? Yeah. In the book The Hound from, or sorry, the short story The Hound from 1924, written by the mad Arab Abdul Alhazred, which is also a, a, a fake name because Alhazred refers to a location that you're from and Abdul is like a title or something like that and so it doesn't make sense as a name (laughs) so it's all made up and it's all fake but it was created by hp lovecraft and that's where the actual term came from there are a few tropes in this movie which i wrote down i only caught two of them uh, but we see them a lot we've seen them a lot so far in this podcast Um, the which key is it trope where you have a ring of keys and you're trying to get into a locked door it's kind of like when Jamie Lee Curtis is trying to get the into keys! the house. The keys! Yes. Uh, there's also the possessed drawing. Where Cheryl is drawing in, oh, yeah. in, the, in the book or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she's uncontrolled. She doesn't know what she's doing. And she's just drawing it. And I think she draws the book. That's when she's famously looking at the, the giant like uh, clock and... 
the thing, the pendulum is swinging yeah. and it stops. Yeah. So there are a few of those tropes. Uh, I also liked that there are a lot of really, really interesting shots and angles and framing in this movie. Yes. Uh, for somebody who'd only been making well, it's very indie. Home it's very, movies. Yeah. We're trying new things, which I love. So, for instance, when the char- when the characters are looking down into the cellar, right? When there's no cellar there, by the way, in that cabin, that cabin doesn't have a cellar. Uh, They faked it with the door. Right. And any shots of somebody actually going into a cellar were filmed at a different location. Kind of like with Citizen Kane, where Orson Welles was one of the first people to be like, just dig up the floor. I'm going in the floor with the camera and we're going to shoot people from under the floor. Like nobody had ever done that. And if they had, it wasn't big popular movies. (laughs) And so there's something kind of similar where there's these low angle shots of everyone talking about going down into the cellar as if something in the cellar is watching them have this conversation. And it doesn't really cut from person to person. It pans from person to person. Like it's something that's looking around mm-hmm. at them, you know? And so that's really cool. When Ash goes down and looks around, um, the camera does a 360 before it settles in on him again. Okay. So he goes down and you see his face, right? And you see he's looking at something. Mm-hmm. And then the camera whips around and does a 360 and then lands back on his face again. Okay. Uh, there's the POV spirit shots. Blood hits the lens. Yep, yep. Love it. Which is really cool. It implies two things. I mean, it breaks the fourth wall, right? Yes. When blood hits the lens. Uh, it implies... It brings the audience into yeah, it. Yeah, it does, it does one of two things. It either implies that it's fake, right? And that the camera exists diegetically, or that we are the camera and we are there. And that's how I have always yeah. taken it. I'm a part of this. I'm experiencing this along with the actors. Right. And so you get this sense. It's supposed to foster this sense of, you know, if you were there, you feel trapped, um, you feel attacked. And it's shocking. It, it builds the, blood the, it builds the anxiety. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it has a lot of Dutch angles, which, as you know, is supposed to build this sense of unease and bizarreness. You know, it's supposed to mess with you in that way. Uh, there's the upside down shot that flips over Ash's head, mm-hmm. um, which is very Kurosawa. Like, there's obviously influences here Mm -hmm. i mean i just in this these are just things that i noticed and i already noticed orson wells and kurosawa and a couple of other um camera uh tricks and and it that's that's all in this movie so although the fact that this is like a basically a a no budget home video uh there's a lot of really really interesting stuff done with the filmmaking we don't need money to do this tell they just they loved film Yes. And like you said, it's just a group of kids having fun together, not having any idea what it was going to do for their, well, not having any idea what it was going to do for Sam Raimi and for Bruce Campbell. (laughs) Sorry, other actors. Yes. (laughs) Bruce Campbell in his autobiography described the process of making the movie as a comedy of errors and, quote, 12 weeks of mirthless exercise and agony. (laughs) They were very unhappy making this movie, I think. (laughs) I talked before about Video Nasty. What movie was that? Graduation Day? It was Graduation yes. Day. Yeah. Yes. Random. Graduation <laughs> Day was part of the Video Nasty thing in, in um, 
the UK. And this movie was the first evidence that Mary Whitehouse showed in court to support the idea of video nasty. Because it it really it has a lot of nasty gore. Right. Uh, graduation day, I don't understand why that is on there, but this I can understand. There are moments in this film where I've seen it a billion times, I still have to look mm-hmm. away. It was never successfully banned though. Ah. Um they tried to multiple times and it was added to the list and removed and added and removed and they never successfully actually banned it. But yeah, they had to work with getting it. It was I think ultimately the version that aired was unrated. Uh in England though it got an X. In the book there are sketches in the book and one of them is uh one that we might have recognized but I don't think if you I don't think you caught it. The famous one? The person coming up out of the ground? That's the cover. Okay. Um, And they actually put it in the book in the remake. Yeah. Uh, No. One of them is based on William Blake's The Great Red Dragon and The Woman Clothed with the Sun. Holy shit, I didn't see that. Yeah, we might have to go back and take a look at that. And that's it. Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 98. 95? Ah. Overrated or underrated? Slightly overrated. I think people look at this movie with rose-tinted glasses, which I'm fine with because it's outstanding. But I think because of that, people tend to give it a higher rating than it truly deserves. I think if you were to look at this as purely just a film without thinking about all of the things that it started, because if it weren't for The Evil Dead, we wouldn't have a lot of things in our horror pop culture that we have today. Yeah. I would give it an 88. That's really funny. I was going to say 89. Because it's like, it's not quite like a 90 caliber film, but I love it so much. I love this movie. It's really, 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 really good. The consensus review on Rotten Tomatoes is, this classic low-budget horror film combines just the right amount of gore and black humor, giving the Evil Dead an equal amount of thrills and laughs. On Metacritic, it has a 70. Oh, just well, that's underrated. way underrated. Yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah, no, I, I love this movie. It's got humor. It's still legitimately creepy. The first time I saw it, I'm sure it scared me. I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I'm sure it scared me then. It's still legitimately creepy. I love it. And it did so much for the horror genre. All right, that is 1981's The Evil Dead. Before we move on to our next film, Kelsey, show me what you got. Slash cards. Who played the recently deceased Adam and Barbara Maitland in 1988's Beetlejuice? God, you're the worst. I'm awful with names and you know that. (laughs) Okay, Alec Baldwin. Yes. And, um. It's funny, his name was the one I was having trouble with. Well, I just remember because the Baldwin brothers, and then that helps me out. Uh, and then Remy Harlan's ex-wife, she almost made it to the Olympics in archery. <laughs> she was in Thelma and Louise and that one pirate movie. This and used to be my playground. And the long kiss goodnight. This used to be my childhood dream and i think she's the president in some tv show yep madam president or whatever it's called okay susan sarandon and 
Rosie O'Donnell and Madonna and Tom Hanks and Gina Davis. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. There's no play. There's no crying in baseball. <laughs> Who's Lou? <laughs> the bus driver. <laughs> All right. Kelsey. Yep. Teenagers begin to die at the hands of a killer obsessed with scary movies in this 1996 deconstruction of the horror genre. Scream. Yes. I can't wait till we do Scream because it's like it's been my example of can you believe this movie is over 20 years old? In the structure of this podcast, it would be one of the classic films yep. along with Eyes Without a Face. Yeah. And Hexen. Hexen. Yeah, it's which is which is nuts, but we're going by the Christine rules. Yep. Which I can't wait till we do Christine, which are it's over 20 years old, it's officially an antique. <laughs> All right. Kelsey. Yeah. Moving on, our next movie is Evil Dead yes. from 2013 cuz this episode is a, a double feature. The late night double Directed by Fede Alvarez and written by Fede Alvarez and Roto Siegis, and based on, of course, the motion picture The Evil Dead, written by Sam Raimi, starring Jane Levy, Shiloh Fernandez, and Jessica Lucas. And why is Fede Alvarez important? He wrote and directed Don't Breathe. Yep. And we really liked Don't Breathe. Mm -hmm. If you want to get some of our thoughts on Fede Alvarez and how much potential he has... In the horror genre specifically and in film generally, listen to our episode on Don't Breathe because we talk a lot about how basically he wants to be David Fincher. Mm -hmm. And then this is him wanting to be Sam Raimi, I guess. Yes, wanting to be Sam Raimi. <laughs> absolutely. Kelsey, what's the movie about? Same. Well, no, it's really not. It's not. No. The premise is not the same. The original is just a group of college kids going up to a camp to camp for a weekend. Yeah. This is very different. This movie focuses way more in on Ash and his sister's relationship. The girlfriend is basically a nothing character. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all renamed. There is no Ash in this movie. Okay. His name is Ash. No. I'm calling him Ash. Actually, <laughs> this is the fun part. Okay. So before they ever did Ash versus the Evil Dead, which is how they kept going in the universe, the original plan was because now Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, they like own the characters, right? And so they were – Bruce Campbell in particular was not comfortable about somebody else playing the role of Ash. <laughs> when he found out there would be no Ash and that the real hero of the movie was actually Jane Levy's character, Mia – he, he suddenly got very comfortable because then the idea became with him and Sam Raimi and Jane Levy was going to be that the next movie after this was going to be her teaming up with Ash in some way. Like he travels back through time. Did that not happen? And no, because they ended up making Ash versus the Evil Dead instead. But that was the original plan, was to make a sequel to this that had Fucking Bruce Campbell fine, in it. fine, I won't call him Ash. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Ash is the coolest name. If I it was is. to ever have my own son, his name would be Asher, and I'd call him Ash. Yeah, Ash Fucking is a pretty dope. dope name. Anyway. 
But Shiloh Fernandez's God. name is David. Who names their boy Shiloh? I'm sorry if you're a Shiloh. Go by your middle name. Uh, <laughs> anyway. A boy and his girlfriend and uh, and then uh, two childhood friends and his the sister. sister are all up in this cabin because the sister is going to give up. They're never really clear. Is it heroin? Coke, maybe, because it's a powder. Well, heroin's a powder. I know, too. it can be, but like... <laughs> I don't know. They don't. They don't ever say she doesn't get rid of needles or any other paraphernalia, right? Spoons or what have it's you. It's something. It's some sort of nondescript drug. Yeah. Anyway, she's up there to detox and get off the drug. Yeah, and this movie, kind of one of the downsides of the movie, actually, in my opinion, when this started to be the storyline, I was like, oh, "Is this movie all going to be a metaphor for drug addiction?" And the effect it has on our lives and the lives of those around us. I don't think so. And then I kept watching and there kept being more evidence of that. And I'm like, it kept being easier to equate that. And I was like, mm. I feel like you could read that into it. But I feel like the, I feel like for the most you can. part, you're right. You don't have doing to. you don't have an to. evil dead remake. And but it that kept, was just their reason for being there. But it kept <laughs> popping into my mind. I mean, especially the fact that when she first gets possessed, they think it's just her going through withdrawals. But I, as I said before we watched this, I told you that they have a completely different premise because they wanted a reason for them to not leave. Right. They wanted to have a and reason they, and that it's, kept it works. them there. I think it works as a reason for them to not leave. But ultimately, they don't need that because when they try to leave, the road's been washed out. Anyway, so they can't leave anyway, so whatever. Anyway, we're getting way too far ahead. So anyway, it's basically the same thing. Group this of, movie- Group of college-age yeah. kids are in a, in a cabin in the woods. They find the same book. They find the Necronomicon, and deadites come, and shit sucks. Yes. <laughs> this movie is not available to stream for free or with subscription anywhere. You have to pay for it, basically. It's cheapest on Amazon for like 13 bucks or something like that. Should people watch this movie? I think so. I agree. I like it. I think if you like Evil Dead and you've seen the other Evil Dead movies, I think this is a uh, reasonably good contribution to this franchise. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, despite the premise difference, I think it is pretty much a remake. And I think it's a yeah. great remake. I think they did a really good yeah, job a, with it. Yeah, it's some modern retelling. They changed things to make them more interesting, and I, I think. I, I feel like they they really respected their original material. Yeah. It didn't feel like they were making a joke out of it. There was still humor, but it didn't it feel like- And it was gory as fuck. Very, very gory. Very um, justice creepy. Uh-huh. It keeps the, the dendrophilic rape scene. I feel like they could have- Gone away from that, but I but I also feel like it's their way of referencing the original, you know, and not making it quite as it's still sexual, but not as sexual, I guess. Yeah, I, people I, should definitely I, see. I it. I think yeah. you should see it. I think if you like the Evil Dead, you should see it. So go ahead and do that, and when we get back, we will talk about 2013's Evil Dead. There was something in the woods. Everything's gonna be fine. Everything's gonna be fine. I don't know if you'd noticed this, but everything's been getting worse every second. 
If we don't do something, we're all gonna be dead. Sound fine. Rated R. Kelsey. Yeah. Before we get started, can we talk about how hot it is? It's stupid hot. It is a hundred degrees right now. I'm gonna die. On Friday, it was 115 degrees here. Yeah. In sunny Southern California. I can only imagine how it is in just in America, in states like Arizona and you know, more southern states, too. Like, like what, what's Florida like right now? God, that must suck. <laughs> it is so hot. And so we are having problems trying to find when to record. And so we are recording the day this is going live. So we'll see. This might be really short because we might be too miserable to continue recording. I don't know. Well, because we also have to turn the air off when we record. Because, yeah, the fans are very loud. It's so, so hot and gross in here. We- <laughs> We have all the windows, like, completely shut up. Blacked out. Yeah, most of the electronics are off except for one lamp because there's no light in here because we've got all the windows (laughs) shut out. And it's not a happy feeling. Yeah, if this continues like this, we'd be dead by dawn. Wah, wah. (laughs) Like, it doesn't dip below 95 until, like, 8 o'clock at night. Like, that's nonsense. Oh, okay. That being said, what happens in Evil Dead? I think I mentioned this already. Uh, Evil Dead, the big, big difference, I would say, is their reason for being there. We already talked about this, didn't we? A little bit, about how it's an intervention, kind of. It's a detox session. She knows, so it's not really an intervention. She's the one who wants to do it. And they talk about how... They've tried in the past in other scenarios, and she just snaps and leaves and then goes back to do more drugs. So the friend, whose name is Olivia, wants to make sure that that she can't leave this time. So they go to this cabin in the woods, and there's going to be no way out because nobody's going to be willing to let her leave except for the brother who isn't told this until they're already there. So we have five characters. We have David, Eric, Mia, Olivia, and Natalie. Did you notice anything about those names, Kelsey? I'm going to say them again. David, Eric, Mia, Olivia, and Natalie. Demon. Yeah, they spell out demon. <laughs> It's a little fun game we play. So Mia is the is the druggy one. Uh, She's the main actress from Don't Breathe. Yes, Jane Levy. David is her brother, and his girlfriend is Natalie. Olivia and Eric are friends of Mia's who used to be friends with David, but David left a long time ago. Yeah, I guess to like go to college? I don't know. They don't really explain where he left to. Right, and he had a hard time coming back when their mom... 
uh, got dementia sick. or whatever and got sick. Yeah, apparently and, she was a pretty terrible mom growing up. Yeah. And, pro- I think it, I think it, they kind of allude to the idea that she had some sort of mental illness. Right, because she calls uh, – Mia tells the story about how there was an entire day where their mom called her David and she just played along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously she, she had some form of dementia – uh, as she was dying, and David never made it back. It just was never a right time. And so he's trying to really make it up to his sister this time by being there for her. And her we have the necklace again, but this time the brother gives the necklace to the sister. Yes. And he tells a little story about what it means to them or whatever. And dad. Yeah, it's supposed to be about like healing shit and uh, it's the funny power of your will or something like that it's supposed to improve the power of your will and she's like oh i didn't think you believed in this stuff he's like i don't you do it's made from a buckthorn tree it's supposed to make your will stronger but i thought you didn't believe in that kind of stuff i don't but you do so uh, maybe it'll work it's, it's kind of cute yeah but all this is after we have the intro scene mm-hmm which is a girl in the woods she's running from somebody and some Hicks, some rednecks catch her and drag her away, and they drag her to what we find out is the cellar of this cabin in the woods where she's tied up, and there is like a medicine woman type person there who's insisting that she be killed, that she be burned, and her father's there, and he's going to do it, and we're like, oh my god, what's going to happen to this girl? Are they sacrificing this girl for the demon? And no, what you find out is she's been possessed, and she doesn't realize it. And the father knows it's happened and she killed her mom. I don't think it's uh, she doesn't realize it. I think it's the demon pretending to be the daughter like right. they do. I, I, totally, yeah. And so he ends up actually setting her on fire as she turns back into the demon and then blowing her head off with the shotgun. And that's where we're introduced to our five characters. So we got through like... A lot of the backstory just now. <laughs> We're just charging right through. So when they get into the cabin, there's a smell that Mia mentions that nobody else notices. And it's like, oh, her senses are fucking with her because she's going through withdrawals. Mm-hmm. But she pours whatever powdered drug this is. Like We couldn't decide what it is in the last segment, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. She pours it down the well. Hope they don't get their drinking water from that. <laughs> and that she's going uh, cold turkey. And like I said, we know this isn't the first time they tried. And so they're going to have to do some drastic measures. But the last time she overdosed, she died. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, David, your sister was legally dead. And they, they revived her with uh, paddles or whatever. Here's the thing about that. Because they're like, oh, if she dies again, like, if she ODs again, she won't come back. Okay. I'm not saying it's a good thing to OD. I am not saying that it's, it's totally fine OD as much as you want. That's There's not, like, a set, like, humans don't have a set number of lives like cats do. Right. It's like, oh, once it's happened once, it can't happen again. Because, I mean, some people have survived eight overdoses. Yeah. You know? And then the doctor tells them, if you do this again, you're probably going to die, right? But there are people who withstand multiple overdoses. Again, I'm not saying it's a good thing. Definitely don't want to do that in your life. But this whole, like, oh, my God, she OD'd, and therefore if she does it again, she'll die, is not necessarily true. Right. It's just they're trying to add stakes to the scenario. Yes. And she goes through withdrawals real bad, and she seems to be focusing on this smell, this smell, this smell, 
and Olivia is forced to give her a sedative, and we find out that Olivia is actually a registered nurse. So she has the stuff that Mia needs to survive her withdrawals. Uh, it's not going to be pleasant for Mia, but medically, they're covered. It might not be the most safe scenario in the world, but uh, or ethical, but uh, they got what they need, basically. But Grandpa starts smelling some shit, too. Grandpa is the name of their dog. <laughs> and he starts sniffing around the floor and he finds this carpet. And so they're like, what the fuck? And so they move the carpet. And this is so cool, I thought. They find the cellar door and this blood streaked down into it. So it's not on the door, it's on the floor outside and it stops at the me immediately like something bloody was dragged down there. And so the two men go into the cellar, and they actually discover, oh my god, it does reek down here. It's because there are, like, rotting animal corpses down there in the cellar, hanging from the ceiling. And they also find uh, a package wrapped in black yeah. plastic bag so and wire and tape. It ends up being the Necronomicon. But they have to go through so much shit to get to it. Yeah. On top of getting through all the dead animals and all the rot and all of the disgusting shit that is in this room, they find it and it's, like Chris says, it's sealed and stuff. They have to, like, cut it open and, and it says, like, do not open this book, don't touch this book, blah, blah, blah. But immediately, the guy friend, Eric, is, like, enthralled with it and obsessed yeah, with he's it. he's fascinated. So he opens it up and it's covered with stuff. Yeah. Leave this book alone. Do not fucking read this. And he's like, ooh, interesting. Like, this isn't something that you get from a hot topic. Like, this is something you found in a cellar of an abandoned cabin filled with animal corpses and scrawled in the margins is don't fucking read this. And um, so he does like a pencil etching thing, you know, where he shades over on a clean sheet of paper and it has words on it and a warning. You don't want to speak, write, or hear what is in this book. And what did that make you think of? The bye-bye man? Yes, it did. <laughs> that is forever in your mind. <laughs> don't say it. Don't think it. Don't hear it. Don't speak it. Whatever it is, that's what this reminded me of. And Ladies obviously, and gentlemen, this, the obviously yeah. this was made way before Bye Bye Man. Well, yeah, a couple years. Bye Bye Man is garbage. It's a terrible it's movie. It's a terrible movie. Like, super bad. Right. <laughs> so anyway, he, he decides he's going to actually read the words. Mia's outside in the rain, and as he's reading these words, she just, like, projectile vomits everywhere. And everyone can just chalk this stuff up. To the withdrawals. Yeah, and she's, like, wandering around in circles in the rain. She's acting very crazy. And again, yeah, everyone just thinks, oh, it's a withdrawal symptom. So this is when Mia decides, nope, I'm out of here. Because she, like, sees a figure in the woods. 
And she's just vomited all that stuff up and she's starting to hear voices now. And they're like, you're just going through withdrawals. You're hallucinating because you're going through withdrawals. And she's like, no, I am out of here. And this is when David decides, yes, I'm here for you. That's why I can't let you leave. He starts, he agrees with Olivia at this point. Yeah, at first he didn't. Right. He's like, I'm sorry if she asks, I'm going to have to take her because I'm here for you or I'm here for her, not for you. And... But then it gets to the point where she's like, I got to go, David, take me out of here. And he says no. And she's like, oh, great. The one time you're supposed to actually be here for me and you let me down again. Big fucking surprise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the whole guilt trips that addicts will, will pull on you. David, drive me home. Come on, David. Maybe they're right. You were supposed to be here to support me. Not them. I'm here for you. That's why. Oh, my God. I am such an idiot to think for once in my life I could count on you. And she ends up like escaping through a window and stealing his car and driving through the woods. And she almost crashes into that person that she saw watching her in the woods. And she just like drives the car into the swamp. And this is when we get the tree scene again. Yes, she gets, except it doesn't happen exactly the same. The trees grab her and hold her. And then this figure, which is the girl from the beginning of the movie, Mm -hmm. like has this black darkness evil thing like come out of her mouth and it drops to the ground and it climbs up her leg and then goes up her dress and we don't see where it goes. But the the implication is is that this is how the evil gets inside of her. So I think it's trying to distance itself a little bit from from making it like sexual, but still it's totally unnecessary. It didn't need to happen, but they felt I think compelled to it is, reference that in the original. It's a crazy iconic thing because it is crazy. Right. It's yeah. so out there and bizarre that Evil Dead is very much linked to this idea. So they probably felt like they had to use it. So she's screaming her ass off and David and Olivia end up finding her in the woods and taking her back to the cabin. And they and then blame it all on the withdrawals. The dog, they find the dead dog. The brother yeah. does. And for some insane reason, he comes to the conclusion that it was his sister. Like he imagines that she did it. And no, we, there's the, a reason. No, there's there's not. The audience has no reason to think that it was her. Possibly it's because she's been now been overtaken by a demon. Possibly, but he has no reason to think that. Why would he just assume that Mia killed her dog? Because there's nobody else there. There's nobody else there. She's the one that's hallucinating and freaking out and going through these crazy withdrawals and becoming violent and harming herself. And he finds the dog. He finds grandpa underneath the tool shed uh, in a hole underneath the tool shed. He goes into the tool shed and pulls it away. And you can see there's a hole leading from inside the tool shed to underneath it to out um, and pulls him out. And he's whimpering and dying. And he's been bludgeoned to death and there's a bloody hammer nearby meaning somebody did this and in this scenario who do you think that is and so granted he doesn't ask any questions he just immediately gets mad at her but what other conclusion is he supposed to come to i would come to the conclusion that someone crazy is in the woods right and who's but there is somebody crazy in the woods (laughs) and that's mia i could never just assume that my brother 
killed our dog. It was, I understand. It was nuts. I understand. But she also came back from the forest screaming, having driven the car into a swamp and with cuts all over her that looked like she did it to herself. Like, she's obviously become violent and, and unhinged, uh, as far as they're concerned. Now, we know that's not exactly the case, but something's gone wrong. And surprise of surprises, we don't find out. So, knowing what we know, do you think that Mia did that? Well, not Mia. But the demon possessed Mia. Possibly, yes. Right. And so the reason... Probably, The yes. reason may be different, but the actuality is the same. He's not wrong. He, uh, he's wrong to think that his sister would do that. Right. I see what you're saying. But what's happening, the way her sister is behaving this way now, being possessed and all of that, led him to believe that she did this and the possessed version of her did do that. So he's not exactly wrong. Anyway, horrible thing. Uh, God, I just, these are, all the violence and all that stuff, my mom would never watch this. But my mom is the type who, if an, if a dog gets hurt, she won't watch the movie. If a kid gets hurt, she won't watch the movie. So this movie is right out. <laughs> anyway, uh, he tries to confront Mia while she's taking a shower. And he finds out that she's turned the heat all the way up. And it is boiling water coming out of that shower. And it her is scalding her. And off. she's getting like like third degree burns like and in? stuff like that. Sleepaway camp. Oh, with the oil or the boiling water or whatever it is. Yeah, boiling the potatoes or carrots or yeah, true. So they 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 stop it after through great pain of themselves trying to get the water to stop. And you can see she's like really fucked up. She's not dead, but her skin is all scalded and it's really, really bad. This is when Eric notices in the book there's a picture of a person with their flesh scalding off, like pouring boiling water on themselves or something like that. I think there's also one of somebody vomiting up blood, yeah. which he has done. Didn't she do it on the black girl and her friend? Or is that after? I think that that's later. Oh. Well, so I think slowly Eric is realizing, oh, fuck, look what I did. Yeah. But he chooses not to tell anyone, and... Yeah, well, he wants to look into it more, I guess. But in it, the meantime, David's going to... It really hinges on this Eric kind of being a selfish bastard, which I understand they've kind of shown that to us because he doesn't forgive Mia's brother for leaving. It's it's a little weird that it, it kind of demonizes the intellectual in the group. Yeah, it makes him out to be a real raging asshole. I mean, especially when you got a movie like Cabin in the Woods where all the characters are, are very, very smart. smart. Like, and and them being dumb needs to be part of it. So we'll, we'll watch Captain in the Woods. But every single one of the characters of the, of the teenagers or 20-somethings that go to the woods are all, like, you know, straight-A students. Like, they're all super smart. So it's weird that this movie is, like, demonizing the, the teacher, right? Yeah. So anyways, in the meantime, David needs to get Mia to a hospital. So they get into the Jeep and drive the Jeep out of there, and they find that... The roads are all flooded. In the original, the bridge was out. In this one, the road is completely flooded and they can't get through. So he has to turn back. Olivia sedates her to deal with the pain, but that's kind of all they can do. 
Uh, and when they're arguing over what to do, she comes in and she has a, a gun in her hand. She has like a rifle or a shotgun or something like that in her hand. And she shoots it, almost hitting David, actually, right? Maybe it kind of hits him. I don't remember. Do you remember what happens there? I don't remember this. He tries to get her to stop and she fires the gun. And this is when we first get the obvious demon possession moments. And she says, you're all going to die tonight. You're all going to die tonight. If anybody out there is from Southern California and listens to um, Kevin and Bean. Yeah. I never know who's talking on that show, but one of them loves that clip. Uh So anytime there's like a a movie that looks like it's going to be really, really bad, Uh they play that. Like, oh, it sounds like it's going to be really exciting. You're all going to die tonight. And then somebody goes, no, no, it's not not that movie. It's not that movie. So they use that a lot. (laughs) You are all going to die tonight. So Olivia fights Mia to get the gun away from her. And this is when her, her eyes change color. And this is when she just projectile vomits all over Olivia. And it's like this dark blood like, it's, you know, bile, blood, combo. And it definitely like gets into... Oh, all over Olivia. In her eye sockets, in, in her, her mouth, mouth, and in her nose. And ears. It's all over her. So that's how she gets possessed. And Olivia kicks her off of her, and she falls very far into the cellar. And this is when the girlfriend of the brother is like, we should have left when Mia wanted to. Yeah, God. Yeah, it's because Mia knew that there was a possession going on. Stupid. I forgot her name. Is she Nicole? What is her name? It's an N. Natalie. Natalie. Anyway, so Olivia goes to clean up all the blood on her, and the mirror shatters, and she sees some sort of hallucination in it, and she goes to walk away, and she just gets frozen in space. It's just like when Kylo Ren finds Rey in that forest and he freezes her and she can't move or whatever. And then so Olivia ends up peeing herself. Important things to note. Yes. And we see, <laughs> and we see the book again. And this is a page where a person is cutting up their face with a knife. They're mutilating their face. Mm-hmm. And Eric goes to check on Olivia And she is. She's cutting all the skin off of her face. And he slips on some of the skin that she's already cut off, which is which is weird. And then she stabs him and uh, gets him in the face with a needle. Yeah. But it like just misses his eyeball. And he throws her off of him and uses the like a part of the ceramic toilet that's broken to just. Me just just destroy her head, <laughs> like he fuck he smashes her head in, mm-hmm. and she dies. And David and Natalie come in, and they're like, "What happened?" And he's like, "She tried to kill me. She tried to kill me." So that happened. <laughs> <laughs> this is when the girlfriend almost gets. She almost falls for the sister pretending to be like. Yes, because David sends her to get, like, water or something like that to help out Eric. It's funny. She walks in. She, like, stands in front of the door like, oh, God, I have to walk by the the, the, thing. the cellar door. But the cellar door is open. Oh, I don't remember it being open. Yeah. 
And so she like runs by. Well, but she hears, well, it's not, I don't think it's open then, but when she comes back, it is. And she hears Mia down there, like as Mia asking for help. And so Natalie fucking goes. Yeah, she She goes down into the cellar. Totally falls for it. Just like we did in Until Dawn and got that girl's head ripped off. Yeah. That's the exact same thing. (laughs) Okay, so Natalie tries to get out, but Mia attacks her. Uh, Well, what's weird is that they have like a full-blown conversation with her as the demon. Yeah, where it's she very says, odd. Like she's not attacking her. He won't stop until he has all of you, Mia says. Exactly. It's like, why would you tell her that? This is also the iconic scene where Mia cuts her tongue down the middle. Yeah. There there are a lot there's a lot of gore in this movie and there's a lot of yeah, I there's a lot of times again, just like in the original where I'm like, I don't really mm-hmm. want to watch this. I'm not enjoying myself yeah. right now. <laughs> and then Mia Makes out with Natalie and gets all the blood inside of her and everything. She bites her arm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so Natalie's fucked, basically. And so David comes down and pulls Natalie out. And this is when they actually nail the cellar door shut. It's so great. This is when he says something to Mia. He says her name and something. And the demon, like, looks at him and she goes, Mia's not here, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Why don't you come down here so I can suck your cock, pretty boy? Mia. Mia's not here, you fucking idiot. And it's hilarious. <laughs> like, don't you get it? <laughs> so Eric in this time has tried to burn the book. And this is a twist from the original. It doesn't work. It cannot burn. So, well, fuck, we, now we can't rely on the original to tell us what's going to happen. Yeah, they walk in and Eric is staring at it. He's like, I don't know why. I thought this would help. I thought it would stop it. Yeah. It's, it's not doing anything. So this is when Eric gives us, because he's read the book, he gives us some background as to what exactly is going on. There's some sort of evil entity. It's attached itself to Mia and it collects souls in order to release what's called the Abomination. We don't know what any of this is yet. This is when Natalie... Ah! Imagine you're just going to spend a weekend with <laughs> your your boyfriend and his sister and old friends from home. And then it turns out, oh, it's going to be a, a drug detox. She knew that. Right. But still, like, you're like, oh, well, this can't be a fun weekend in the forest. And then there's this possession. And then this infection starts to spread from where she was bit and Mia is getting excited. Yeah, she's peeking from under the cellar. We get this shot of her eyes out from under the cellar, which is an iconic Evil Dead thing. Yes, except that in Evil Dead, they've got blank eyes. Yeah, in this, they have like yellow eyes. Yes. Yeah. And so Mia's like really, really excited about the infection going to take her over. And so Natalie's like, all right, she grabs an electric knife, which is like what people used to cut turkeys and stuff like that. And Mia starts to say, don't do it. No, don't no, don't do, do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, and the sister goes, fuck you, and, and cuts it off. Now, Natalie goes, the demon had to have known, spoiler, it doesn't work. Um, but the demon had to have known it wasn't going to work, right? So what I'm thinking is she was saying don't do it. To encourage her to, to encourage do her it. To encourage her to do it yeah, so that she uh-huh. would feel more pain. Reverse psychology. <laughs> I think that's what was happening there. Probably. And she has the, the line, I feel much better now. And Straight then her out arm, of the sixth sense. And then her arm. Pff. I had to do it. I feel much better now. 
yeah. just falls down to the ground. Yeah. Ah, 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 what do we do? And he's There's like, three we, ways we can do it. Yes. And he tells him the three ways. And he's like, you're sure this will like bring my sister back? And he goes, am I sure? Of course I'm not sure. <laughs> sure this will work? If I kill my sister, she'll be at peace. Am I, am I sure? Of course not. This is not a science book. What are the three ways, Kelsey? Do you know? Burn her. Yes. Bury her alive. Uh-huh remember the last one dismember her dismember yeah so that's why that's why the girl in the beginning they burned her david's like no nah, nah dog can't do any of that that's my sister any and of then, those things will kill her and i'm not going to kill my sister and then this random thing happens and i think i'm hoping that maybe you can clarify it for me lightning hits a tree and the tree catches on fire right and eventually the fire goes out we'll talk about that later what do you think that signifies because it happens right when he's saying, no, I'm not going to do this to my sister. It's almost like an encouragement from, like, the heavens, like, from God or whatever, being like, you have to do yeah, this. I don't think there's a definitive way you can interpret this. I think there's either... It's a little confusing. Either it's the heavens telling you, fucking take action, right? Or it's the demon possession recognizing he's not going to do it, right? And so it gets worse, Things get worse if he's not willing to do that. Uh, there's multiple ways that you can interpret that. I don't think there's any one way that you could do it. But we don't have time to think about this because Natalie comes in like fucking pinhead with a bunch of nails in her face and she yep. has a nail gun. Now, this is not how nail guns work. Movies, please stop perpetuating this lie. It's not <laughs> how nail guns work. So a few things you need to know about nail guns. They need to be pressed up against something or the trigger won't do shit. So that's why, you know, you put it up against a piece of wood, it presses this trigger that's that's right on where the nail comes out. So it's not like it's something that you can just hold back with your hand and fire. And and then it will let it fire. You're sure that all nail guns. Yes. It's a it's a crazy important safety measure. (laughs) So shit like this cannot happen. I don't know why, like, people understood the concept of nail guns, and so they just put this shit in a movie, not understanding how nail guns actually worked. They're like, oh, man, that'd be really dangerous if you just pointed it somewhere and fired. It's like, no, the only reason it works is because it's pressed up against something. So if you pressed it up against somebody's head and fired, that would probably lodge a nail in their skull. Yes, but you can't fire it from across the room. Another thing. It has velocity, but not that much velocity. (laughs) It comes out in a very powerful burst, but over distance, even if you could fire a nail gun like that, it wouldn't go that far at that speed. So It's made to go into wood that's right in front of it. So how do you create more velocity? Like, what's the difference between that and a gun? Guns have explosions. This is like a really strong, I mean, imagine it's a really strong hammer. It's like a pneumatic hammer, which is pop, right? So it's just pushing it. But it's not an explosion like you get in a gun (laughs) that propels a bullet forward. It's not, it just won't work that way. Um, And they are not, nails inside of them, which have these flat ends on the back of them a little bit. They're not, they're not designed to fly accurately or anything. It would be nuts. It's, I'm talking way too much about nail guns, but it's just, this is a trope in movies and it bothers me. Anyway, she shoots David and, (laughs) 
and gets him all fucked up with uh, with nails. Sorry, no. She shoots Eric and gets Eric all fucked up with the nails. David goes for the gun. He uh, ends up killing his girlfriend. Right? Well, she ends up beating him with a crowbar. And before she can kill him, he shoots her hand off with the shotgun. And Natalie, this is the classic thing where it looks like she's going back to normal. And she starts talking about how much it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. And then she dies. So that's really fucked up. This is when David decides, fuck it, we're just setting the whole thing on fire. <laughs> so this is when we get a montage very similar to the to Evil Dead 2. So this is very much, they put both movies together. Would you agree? What do you mean by that? So here we see a montage and he's getting the shotgun, he's getting the chainsaw and all that, which is straight out of Evil Dead 2. So what I'm saying is, is that they took a lot of elements from both movies. Sure. I guess. Yeah, I guess. But he's pouring gasoline all over the place, and then she starts singing that lullaby that their mom sang yeah, to them. Yeah, earlier she had brought up a lullaby that her mom used to sing to them, and now she is singing it. Right, and he decides, I can't do it. I can't do it. Just like this Ash. Is, this is the I can't do it where the tree gets struck by lightning and catches fire. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he decides he's going to go about it another way. He gets smart, which I think is pretty interesting. A little flash forward for you. And a flashback, he remembers that she's died before and come back. Mm-hmm. So maybe he can kill her in such a way where he can then bring her back. And of the three ways he can kill her, what's the safest way to do that? Burial. Yes. So he puts together this thing where he grabs syringes that Olivia had and hooks it all up to like, what does he hook it up to? Something battery powered or whatever. I can't remember what it is. Is it like a generator or a car battery or something? And starts to dig a hole. And then he goes into the cellar. He grabs Mia. Uh, They fight a bunch. And Eric saves him. Yep, Eric pops up out of fucking nowhere. Yes. (laughs) Uh, This is when Eric dies in the melee. Yeah, and he's... Like, when she's like pretending to be real like he he's laughing and he's just like you're so fucked yeah you're never uh, gonna be able to kill her um she's just gonna do this over and over and over again right and what's interesting is that when he's about to bury her or something she goes you know um why do you hate me why do you hate me and that makes him stop and that brings up so many questions for me about their relationship as a brother and sister well, because because it makes it seem like he does hate her. No, 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 no. That's what he's worried about is is her thinking that she, that he hates her. He's not. It's not that he never went home because he hates her. It's because he can't deal with home. He can't deal with that family aspect of it. And the hurt for him as a result of his actions is that now his family, his sister, thinks she that he hates her, and that kills him inside. Because he doesn't actually hate her. This is why he's doing it in such a way as to maybe keep her alive. So he ends up putting a bag over her head and dragging her out and tossing her in. And she's pleading with him at this point as herself again. And that, like you say, and he buries her. And then he waits a while. And then that's when the rain stops. The fire that was on the tree fire goes, goes out. out. Uh, and and that's he- why it's it catches on fire. When he's like, I can't do it. And uh-huh. it's like a, it's like an encouragement, like, do this. 
So that's why I think maybe it's that she it's the demonic possession thing getting worse. Hmm. Everything around them is going to hell. And then when she dies, the fire goes out. The rain stops. And then, so that's why he thinks, okay, it's safe. She's dead now. And so he digs her back up. It is a car battery. And sticks it into Mia's chest and tries to revive her. But she doesn't. She doesn't come back to life. He covers her up and he starts to walk away. And then she comes out of the grave. And she's completely back to normal. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she comes out with her hand out. Where they actually do that. Because they don't do that in the original. Yeah, it's not in the original. It's just on the cover, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's back to normal. And they're totally fine. And they go get the keys to the Jeep. But Eric's there. And just, like, cuts David's neck. Yep. Out of nowhere, it's like, oh fuck, Eric. Yes, forgot about Eric. <laughs> Eric <laughs> he just, just died. keeps coming back. <laughs> he died as a real person. He wasn't possessed. That's right. He was yeah. never possessed. Mm-hmm. So he comes back possessed and cuts Eric's neck, and he locks Mia outside of the cabin to protect her. And he shoots the Who gasoline. Who the machete through the knee? Who's that? I don't remember. That was such a hard moment for me to watch. I don't remember. Somebody gets a machete through the kneecap. I think it's Mia. I think someone does that to her. Maybe it's Eric. Maybe it's her brother. I don't remember. In the fight down in the cab in the cellar. I don't but know, maybe. somebody puts a fucking machete right up on her kneecap. It is just slicing. Oh yeah. It, oh, it's so well, like hard it cuts to watch. through her. It, yeah, it's it was really bad. So David sacrifices himself and blows up the cabin because there's gasoline everywhere, right? And again, this is not how gasoline works. But it sets the whole place on fire. So now the cabin's on fire and Eric and David are dead. And outside, it starts raining again. Mm-hmm. Except it's not rain, it's blood. Mm-hmm. No, this is the hand comes out of the ground and grabs Mia. It's the other chick right it's the abomination that eric was talking about before this is the thing that comes up out of the ground and it and and they chase mia grabs a chainsaw and she chops off her legs which is awesome mia's under the jeep and and the abomination i'm just gonna call her comes up to the jeep and she chops off her legs it's so great so she falls on the ground and as she's trying to get out from under the Jeep, the abomination tips the Jeep over and it lands on Mia's hand, ah! crushing her arm. Ah! And in order to pull herself free, she has to snap the bone and ah! rip it off. Ah! <laughs> I hate that shit. I hate that shit. Yes. But now she has her hand cut off. Like, here, I think it's really, really important to explain. It's not that it's scary. No. It's that... I just can't sit still. It makes me squirm. And that doesn't mean I'm afraid. But the circumstances are different than, like, torture porn, right? Right. Stuff that's similar to torture porn. It's not as bad. But the (laughs) circumstances are everything. True. And because this is all over-the-top stuff, you're willing to continue watching. It's not human on human. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, if you've seen Evil Dead 2, spoilers, we have a main character who has a chainsaw and a missing hand. So she props the chainsaw on her arm stump, 
thing and now and then uses it to start it with her free hand. Very and exciting. She, and she starts the chainsaw with the free hand. And if this is getting you amped, watch Evil Dead 2 if you haven't. <laughs> um, and as it comes to her, she just chainsaws her right down the middle. Mm-hmm. Just right down the middle. And this split in half corpse just gets sucked back into the ground. Mm-hmm. And that's when the bloody rain stops the fire goes out the sun comes out and we cut back to the book inside the cabin and we know the book can't be damaged by fire so it closes itself mm-hmm. and that's kind of the end of the movie mm-hmm. and I mean, it did what it was supposed to do, so it's not going to continue possessing things. It brought back the abomination, and the abomination was defeated. Yeah, People will have, to, will have to say the things, uh, say the words again in order to bring it back. But mm-hmm. then we get the credits. Then after the credits, we get Bruce Campbell close up in the dark who just says, Groovy. Groovy. Which I thought was weird. Except, well, because oh, oh, that's the original right. intention yeah. was that Mia and Ash would team up. They didn't Which end up doing that. would have been dope. I know. It would have been really, really cool. Instead, we got Ash versus the Evil Dead. Which we have not seen, which we so have we not cannot seen. say anything about it. It's been since it's since been canceled. But from I've heard from friends is quite good. Right. So we'll have to watch that. But that happened instead of the Ash and Mia team up. Which I think is a It's a bummer. But I mean he does team up with younger kids in Ash versus the Evil Dead. Yeah, but I really like But it's Mia. not Mia. Yeah, I know. Mia is awesome. <laughs> She always plays really strong female characters. Yes. You think about Don't Breathe. It wasn't that she was a good guy because, again, as I put forth, there are no good guys in Don't Breathe. She's a bitch in Don't Breathe. But she is so fucking badass. Yeah, you love her. And so... You just wish she was you, a better person. You kind of love her in this, too. Same thing, right? Oh, I don't think she's that she's bad She's a little a fucked up. Of course, she, got, she gets She's possessed. a drug addict. Right, like, yeah. Wait, uh-huh. Like, all right. I don't <laughs> think that qualifies you as a bad person. <laughs> Yes. All right. So, Kelsey. Yeah. Lightning round. I don't have anything else to say except that I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I think I liked it better the first time because I didn't know what to expect. And this time it was just, you know, it'll never be the original Evil Dead. You know, I'm not going to be like, I can't wait to watch the remake. But if it's on, I'd totally watch it. Oh, totally. 100%. I would 100% watch this movie. It's great. But, like, the original Evil Dead, like, it's an event for me. Like, I'm like, I'm so excited. (laughs) I, you know, have to get all ready to see it. Whereas this, it's like, oh, it's on TV. I'll totally watch it. But I don't know that I would be like, let's watch the remake. So, according to reports, the original movie used two or three hundred gallons of blood. (laughs) Fede Alvarez has said, the director, that they used 50,000 gallons just for the last scene alone because of the rain. Ah. And they used about 70,000 gallons of fake blood in total. Wow. Now, this has led to them having to film the movie almost entirely in sequence. So they wouldn't have to redress the set every single time. Mm-hmm. Which, who does that? Who oh, is that, also are you talking does about, that? what's his name? Fincher? Fincher uses fake digital blood so he doesn't have to redress the set. Smart. And he he can control the blood and what it looks like and everything like that. Fede Alvarez 
is forced to film in order so he doesn't have to redress the set because he wants to use physical raining blood. Uh, So I thought that that was uh, pretty interesting. Um, The necklace, we mentioned it twice, so we never mentioned what happens to it. Uh, In both movies, it's picked up on the ground by a different character. And the chain is in the shape of a skull. Oh. It goes like this, like eye sockets. And I don't then think I down. ever noticed that. Yeah, it's just a little little Easter egg kind of thing. Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell have said that this does take place in the same continuity as the original trilogy. Which is why it makes sense that Bruce Campbell's at the end there. But I feel like they could have done something more than just Bruce Campbell's face saying groovy. But whatever. I mean, who doesn't love it when he says groovy? Groovy. Now this, <laughs> I love this little fact. Okay. Apparently... Diablo Cody was uncredited for polishing and Americanizing the screenplay because the movie was written by Fede Alvarez and another man, uh, Rodo Siagas. So she Americanized the screenplay a little bit for them and, and cleaned it up a little bit, but she was uncredited. I think this is really funny because Diablo Cody wrote Juno and Kelsey fucking hates Juno with a passion. Diablo Cody also wrote Jennifer's Body, which Kelsey fucking loves and, is th- and thinks is crazy underrated. I just thought that that was a little bit of fun. So she fun. did the Americanization of this movie? Yeah, she cleaned up the script. Okay. Well, who knows what that means? Who knows how in depth uh, There's that probably goes. idiomatic stuff. You know, making it making it sound more natural, like what young people would actually speak like. Which, if you've seen Juno, you wouldn't think Diablo Cody's capable of. Exactly. <laughs> Juno is such a piece of shit. Yeah. I can't believe it's the same writer. Yeah. Actually. Well, she didn't write this. Actually, this I can. Jennifer's body and Juno are the same writer, yeah. Yeah. I feel like... No, I can't. Jennifer's body is so subtle and hilarious, and Juno is all up in your fucking face saying, I'm Indy, and therefore you like me. And everyone said, oh, I want to be Indy. Yeah, I like Juno. Fucking sheep. Yeah. Anyway, I don't understand. Continue. I asked a question early on in my notes. Is this going to be a metaphor for addiction in some way or withdrawals? And it seems like maybe it is. I mean, it's there. I mean, yeah, she fucking is there for getting off drugs and she has withdrawals and like, yeah, it's there. And she and dies yes, from easily, ODing and she comes back make to life. A, comprom- a, a, a comparison. But I don't think that's really what at the end to do. at the end the abomination calls her a pathetic junkie. So even the abomination is focusing on the fact that she's a druggie. She succeeds when she decides she's had enough of this shit and shows the strength of will to rip her own hand off. And at this point, once she does that and she kills the abomination, she wakes up to a new dawn. This is her fighting her addiction. Like, that's what like, this I is. what you're saying. I just feel like... But with the book at the end, the demon's always there. It's not gone for forever. It can always come back. Again, I This understand. is all about addiction. <laughs> but I mean, then you would you would have to say that the original Evil Dead is that way too. 
Why? Because there's nothing in the plot about addiction. If I just wanted to say, oh, this all could be a metaphor for addiction, I could say that about a lot of things. Exactly. But, but addiction, withdrawal, detox, strength of will, it's all not subtext, not metatext. It's in the fucking text. Yeah, I just think, I think yes, and I and I, I, I totally see it. it. I just don't think that's what the movie was going for. Yeah. I think, like I said, like we just said, really any time where someone has to go through a struggle and has to make sacrifices and then ends up overcoming it, yeah, I think you could say that is like a like a detox story as well. So let's play now. What <laughs> now? What Mia? <laughs> we never got a sequel to this. So we don't know what ends up happening to you, but your brother, your two best friends, and your brother's girlfriend are all missing. And a Dead. cabin that supposedly belongs to your parents, or actually to you now, because you inherited it since your mom passed away, is completely destroyed in the middle of the woods. But here's the question. They talk about in the beginning how they need to clean it up to, like, honor their mother's memory or whatever, right? Because it had been trashed and they thought it was just by squatters, but we know it's by the witch right. people. Yeah, so what's the relationship to those people? What's the relationship? I think those people live they in the woods. They just found the cabin and used it because it was not in use? I think those people live in the woods and they know that the Necronomicon is there. And because no one ever went there, they weren't worried about it. Whatever happened between them... Really, it ha it just happened to happen at that cabin. And yeah. so I don't think Mia has much to worry about when it comes to people coming across this shit because no one apparently ever goes to this in the middle of the woods place. Yeah. Unless people go looking for these people and then they find out through various other people, oh, they went to that cabin. Then Mia would have problems. Right. But if no one knew where they were going for the weekend, she's pretty much in the clear. So there are just a few more things that I wanted to talk about here that just minor things that I wrote down, things that I liked and didn't like. So I'll just go through this. It's only the intro and already there's more of a story than the original movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the brother crosses his heart on the wrong side. I don't know why. I didn't notice was that. that. Intentional? You, you said it at the time. And Did I was they do like, that accidentally? Even... Uh, does he just not know where his own heart is? <laughs> It says cross my heart and he crosses the right side. Are you did sure? They, yes. I paid attention. I'm like, did they flip the video and just not think about the fact that that would make him cross the wrong side of his of his chest? It's probably what happened. I would assume that that's what happened. Uh, just to have some sort of visual consistency with the directions they're looking or something. Mm -hmm. And then that made it fucked up. And they're like, eh, nobody will notice or care. I noticed. <laughs> I care. I didn't notice at all. <laughs> It's like, what? He did? I didn't even see that. I like that the book doesn't burn. I laughed and wrote, nice. <laughs> you can't fire a nail gun like that, and they wouldn't have that sort of velocity. The sedative didn't do anything before, so why they think it's going to do something now, I don't know. Uh, the last time she OD'd, she technically died. This is a nice callback, but also solidifies the addiction metaphor. That's not how gasoline works. <laughs> I think I'm obsessed with this blood rain and the fire. And I love the split-faced corpse. Um, also, the end credit sequence is really cool, where they kind of, like, animate, all, like, the main details of the movie. Uh, and then the doctor's recording plays over the actual scrolling credits, which I thought was a really neat touch. If I was in the theater, that would probably get me to stick around for the whole thing. 
Uh, and that is it. So, Kelsey, what do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? 79. 61%. Whoa! Yes. That is a shame. It really is. And 57 on Metacritic. And on CinemaScore, which surveys people, like actual viewers, uh, it got a C+. So, overrated or underrated? Definitely underrated. Way underrated. What would you actually give it, though? Maybe like a 79. Okay. So you're going to go almost 10 lower than the original. <laughs> I mean, personally, I think this needs at least an 80. But that's just me. I really, really liked it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm really up in the air here. I will give it an 84. What did you give the original? 89. Oh, wow. Because it's just too, I remember, it's it's just too bad to not warrant a 90. But it is so much fucking fun that it's right up there. So I gave it an 89. You gave it an 88. Okay. I give it an 82. Okay. Thinking in context with the movie that it's a a remake of, I think, is important. So. It's really hard because I really liked it a lot, but I love the original so much more. Right. So it's weird to me that they're in the same. Ten percentile. Yes. Yeah, uh -huh. That's really strange to me. I think it's, I think it's just that Evil Dead, I, I don't want to say nostalgia because I certainly saw this. Too late. Way too late for it to be nostalgic for me. I think because when I saw the original Evil Dead, I think I was just so surprised and yeah. so taken up with it. Uh huh. I wasn't expecting to. I was expecting it to be a run of the mill, stupid horror flick. I thought it was going to be really bad. And then I was like, oh my God, that was incredible. Yeah. It's fucking hilarious. And also gruesome as hell, and also fun to watch, and also silly, but also scary. Like, it has so many things going for it. And it's so weird, because I saw it, like, ten years ago, mm -hmm. the first time. This is also remarkable, because it's one of the few times where we actually really, really like the remake. Yes. I think they did a fantastic job with it. I don't think it's as good as the original, but that's because the original just has that whole 80s silliness. Indie kind of factor. Indie. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, everything is practical effects, which are always better. Always better. I don't care. I don't care what you think. <laughs> um, but yeah, this one was really good. I thought, it, I thought they did a great job with remaking it. All right. That is the end of our double feature this week. 1981's The Evil Dead and 2013's Evil Dead. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next week? Uh-huh. We are going to continue to take on recommendations. Is this also from Brian, who originally recommended Hellraiser? If, if you remember, we also talked about how he recommended... The puppet, uh, the puppet master. master. Yeah, but so. we didn't know when we were going to be able to watch it because we had no idea what to really pair it with. And he got back to us and gave us an idea. Yeah, so thank you, Brian. We're going to watch it with... The Boy. Which is an awful title. It is a movie we've actually already seen. We've seen it, yeah. It's about a babysitter who is hired to watch over the child of a 
rich elderly couple and when she gets there she realizes that it's a doll yeah do you remember how you felt about this when you saw it in theaters i remember thinking it's not great but i kind of liked it i don't think you liked it nearly as much as i did i thought it was interesting different unique it had that going for it i liked the twist, but I also felt like the twist ruined it at the same time. Does that make sense? It does. I thought it was interesting. Like, I was like, oh, shit, I uh-huh. I didn't see that coming. Uh-huh. But at the same time, I was like, and it also kind of ruined everything that I liked about it before. So right. I don't know. But have you seen The Puppet Master? Yes. I have never seen The Puppet Master. Yes. I've seen like two of them. I've seen the first one and one of the other ones. I don't remember which one. But this was like in high school or shortly thereafter. In my little bit of research, I found a list that that ranked them all, and I believe that it put number three at number in the number one spot. It was either number three or number Interesting. four. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I think it was three. In one of them, they fight Nazis. Yes, they do. I saw that on the <laughs> list as well. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, to watch Puppet Master. But in watching The Boy, we have kind of lost an opportunity to get Kelsey to watch Child's Play for the show. Because that would have been a really good combination with Child's Play. And now what are we going to do? If you can think of a modern movie. We're never going to watch it is what we're going to do. If you can think of a modern movie that we can pair well with Child's Play, please let us know. Doesn't matter. It's going to happen. Come on, people. (laughs) Work on this with me. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much. Uh, That has been our show. So next week, it is the Puppet Master and the Boy. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com. Spell cemetery, you know what, however you please. (laughs) You can browse all of our episodes and a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. You can leave a comment on each episode, share your thoughts on the movies, recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode like Brian did. You can also email us at podcemetery at gmail.com to do the same thing, or follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. We will add comments occasionally, links to our episodes, uh, things that we think of after the mics are off, and sometimes live tweet random horror movies. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice because, guys, people, it's really, really very helpful, and we really appreciate it. We really appreciate you just listening. You have no idea how excited we get when we see we have a new review. Right, yeah. It's the most exciting thing ever. It really is. So until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Kelsey, what parting wisdom do you have to share with the audience? Like the others before you, one by one. We will take you. I don't wanna be buried in a big cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't wanna be buried in a big cemetery. Addicted to the sacred place To see the dream I can't escape I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods And I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book Is sure to come calling for me
and unfortunately they discover what is known as the Necromonicon. Oh, try again. <laughs> Necromonicon? No. You flipped the the N and the M. Necronomicon. Yes. Necronomicon. Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh, so, d- d- try again. <laughs> and when we come back, we will talk about 1981's Evil Dead. The Evil. The Evil Dead. And what happens when he tries to drive her out of the woods. I don't remember. You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> they find the same book. They find the Nepro- Nepro- Necronomicon. And Maya's outside. Mia? Mia? Mia. Mia. It's Mia. Fucking helicopters all the time. Fucking helicopters. Ew. They really make you not like him. Right. I mean, especially because he's a dick to... Like the brother, the brother who we know is there and cares may not have been the best person, but like we have empathetic feelings for David and Eric just despises him for leaving in the first place. And so Eric comes off as the unreasonable one. Mm-hmm. And so that's emotionally. We already don't like Eric. Mm-hmm. And now he's doing this stuff like and he seems detached. Yeah. All the time. Yes. Um, so Eric is a douchebag. <laughs> Oh, Ugh. God. <laughs> that she, the, it. Ah. <laughs> Whatever the fuck happened with that lady, with the daughter and the husband, the, the, the daughter, the, the father. We're going to get you. Not another peep. Time to go to sleep. 